again, when we talk about the uh, Facebook and Google in terms of the amount of digital exhaust that they have on us and how they're able to profile us and segment us as users and then sell that information to people for exploitive reasons. You're listening to Pardon the Disruption with your host, Tom Young. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is uh, Tom Young. Let's go around the room. Hi, this is Bart Gallo. This is TJ Young. And this is Rohan Kapoor. Hi, guys. Hey, so today we're going to talk about, we had a, an earlier podcast on the, the concept of digital exhaust. Mm-hmm. We talked about how digital platforms are creating this tremendous amount of data coming off of systems. And today what we, we want to talk about is one of the uh, uses of that data that was done by Netflix to create and inform the creation of their hit series, House of Cards. Now, as you can imagine, Netflix has a tremendous amount of information about the viewers, uh, what they watch, when they watch, the cross-correlation of the things they like from the rating system. And that rating system has won some awards and challenges on AI in terms of recommending what you should watch. So if you rely, if you take the time to rate the shows you like, good and bad, it will recommend what you might want to watch next. And I would say it's a very good system. Spotify uses something similar to your playlists. If you have a playlist with 18 songs, it will suggest 19th and 20th and 21 songs that fit into that genre based on what's happening there. And it's using machine learning and a lot of big data. So today we want to talk, Bart brought this to our attention we want to talk about how Netflix came to fund House of Cards, which is probably their largest uh, first investment into original content that came out, I think, in 2013, right? Yeah, it's their first original. So, Bart, give us a little bit, debrief us a little bit about what Netflix did here. Yeah, sure. So, um, Netflix, obviously, for several years now, has been collecting a pretty huge amount of data um, from from their user activity. Um and at the time that House of Cards was being discussed as a new venture into original content, it was seen as a huge risk taking on the legacy content creators and the $100 million investment estimated in it um, to make so it happen. Season one of, of House of Cards cost $100 million? Nope. I'm not sure if it was season one. Two seasons. The, the, the initial project. I'm yep. not sure how many seasons were. But um, from the data that they were collecting, they basically had three major insights that they pulled together to create kind of the um, foundation that justified the investment. And it was, they knew that the British version of the show had a huge audience. They knew that the, um, the movie The Social Network, directed by David Fincher and other uh, of David Fincher content, had a huge audience. And they knew that users who watched the British version of the show also watched a lot of Kevin Spacey content. So... Tying these three elements together, they were able to kind of justify that this huge investment would pay off. And, you know, now we're six years later and they're from one original show to 30 multiple seasons in most of them. That's something. So I don't think people can appreciate how much big data or data digital exhaust that Netflix has. Now, Rowan, you have a clip of one of the engineers at Netflix talking about how much data they have. We're going to play that clip real quick and we get a sense of how much data that's out there. Sure. From a data standpoint, that is about six, 600 billion events per day. Um, our warehouse is about 40 petabytes, give or take. 
um, and we're processing, crunching um, three petabytes worth of that information every single day, and then we're writing 300 terabytes of net new information um, into that warehouse. So the scale is quite large, um, and we can see all sorts of different behavior of our subscriber base. We have the graphic up on the screen, as so I can read it. So they're 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 cr creating. They get 600 billion events per day. That's people hitting pause, play, watch this, don't watch that. And they're dumping 300 terabytes of insight. Uh, this, when we talk about doing an analytics on big data, we talk about signal to noise ratio. So you have the signals are the information you get from what's in that data. They're writing about 300 terabytes of new insight around what's happening with their, their user base every day, which is a tremendous amount of data. And it goes beyond just whether or not someone likes a show or you know rates it poorly. I'm pretty sure they they track everything. How you navigate through the app itself, where you pause on screen, yep. yeah. where do you go and then go back because you couldn't find something. Which shows are the most compelling because they're the least paused versus other shows. How long do you you know the little preview? If you hang on the title for too long and then it starts playing the autoplay. I, I love that feature. Yeah, I can't stand it. <laughs> really? Yeah. If it, like how long do you stay on this one versus the next one? Mm -hmm. Does the placement in that order affect how long you stay on that title in terms of the autoplay? There's all these variations, which I think is why 600 billion events are day. It's, it's so such a large number. Yeah, and that's yeah. So it's even more impressive that the company with this much data has been able to surface some incredibly actionable insights with the house card reference that we've we've kind of talking about today. They take it. They've gone through all of that data and they've managed to surface. The specific insight that's led to an actionable out outcome and it's incredible the success that you can have when you do capture that digital exhaust i think we saw some numbers in another video which talked about house of cards brought in an additional three million new members um bear in mind it was early on in netflix's journey 2013 that it came out that's an incredible success from going through so much data. Well, think, think about the producers and the, you know, studio executives. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the decisions to cast certain people, especially the lead, uh, is really up to the creatives now, right? It's up to the director, mm -hmm. it's up to the, uh, those, you know, leading casting, uh, even, you know, collaborating with the writer itself to see, you know, who, who are we envisioning uh, in this work? And I think at some point, depending on how successful this becomes and then other variations of this, I think if you're a studio and you want to lower your risk, you're going to say, hey, I mean, I know you want Kevin Spacey or I, I, you want Matt Damon for something, but we, can, we need to run a similar test to make sure that this is going to, this particular combination in your target audience will mesh well. Right. And it goes one step beyond that too. It's exactly what you're talking about. And then it's also looking at post-production. Hey, if we're going to put up certain artwork and certain imagery, we actually know what kind of marketing what kind of imagery you need to use in order to attract a certain type of user and therefore you can create your post uh post kind of um movie digital assets in a specific way to to really engage engage users on, on you, the you mean the in in content or like the in video content or like the way that the poster shown the way or? that the poster shown okay, yeah. yeah to try and use data to inform that, those decision making but, uh, it, this well. really gets to the notion, again, when we talk about digital deployments, we think of we think of the paradigm of value in three waves. The first wave is digital does things better, faster, cheaper. The second wave is taking the consequentials from that deployment. And that's what Netflix has done here. 
they've taken the digital exhaust and they've exploited that digital exhaust to inform their decision making. And now you get into the third wave, which is reimagining your new business, which is to create it, it, I, I don't believe that they took this to the next level, which is to actually uh, use it to inform to write the dialogue and scene settings and mm -hmm. things like that. And maybe that's where it's going. That's what I was curious about. That's what I thought you were referencing, Rowan, around maybe you start, because that's very advanced what you just brought up, but, and it's very you know uh, expensive, at least today. But if there's certain elements in the background of a scene, you can imagine, mm -hmm. oh, the poster in the room, you know, in the foreground or the background behind two people talking, if that poster is software definable, then you could change the content in the back of a scene in a way that's maybe cost effective so that if you release the movie in one market or at least use it as a way to test mm -hmm. to say, hey, we're going to have different variations of what's in the scene that could be a green screen or something just to see what works the best, what's the most compelling. Yeah. I think also, so we talk about, um, we've got, Tom's got a book coming out um, in spring um, around digital labor. And there's an amazing example, which everyone knows around Blockbuster um, being disrupted and Netflix coming in and kind of changing, uh, effectively putting them into bankruptcy. When you look at the Blockbuster model of uh, people, they had a large number of people working there. Um, 65,000. 65,000 people at Blockbuster, right? doing some, you know, a lot of them just staffing the the physical uh, locations they had. You look at Netflix and the example of Netflix has fraction, I don't know what the number of employees, a fraction of what they have, but what those people are focusing on is this, right? And that's incredible. They're, they're using far fewer employees to focus on strategic, uh, analytical yeah, you're, you're getting things. to a different point, which is the notion that the new jobs that get created from this yeah. are not a subset of the old jobs. Yeah, it's it's there are less jobs. So new jobs get destroyed. That's the net, the blockbuster example, and then jobs get created, and the jobs that get created are typically lower in number, higher in skill level, mm -hmm. but they're not a subset. It's a it's a completely different thing. So we talk about a machine that. Um, you know, there was a machine that The Economist wrote about. This is about six or seven years ago. It went into the fields and picked lettuce. So the machine replaced migrant workers who were picking lettuce, but you had to hire engineers and, mm -hmm. and mechanics and maintenance people to program the machine. So it was a very different skill set. Yeah. So it employed less people on a farm, but and it, and it had a, a better effect. One of the things we want to talk about, though, is, is back to the theme of this this show, which is the use of digital exhaust to create new business opportunities. This really is in the core of the second wave of value in our business model. We talk about wave one, better, faster, cheaper. Wave two, consequential benefits, exploiting this digital exhaust. And then three, reimagining your business model. So I wanna use another example you guys are all familiar with because I think we, we all took a trip, uh, a recent trip uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, to Disney World, where they use the RFID at, uh, wristbands. Mm -hmm. So they went away from the ticket system where you go into the system and then you walk into the park and they know how many people are in the park. They didn't know what they were doing so much. They'd wait in line and go on different rides. Um, and now they have the RFID reader where, and now it's tied into the smartphone and they do all, they capture all kinds of data. So I talked, I'd worked at Disney for a while in their IT group as a consultant. And I, so I met with one of the VPs in their IT infrastructure who was deploying the RFID system at Disney World 
and I met with them right after they deployed it. And we talked about they went from, in this case, we were talking about 600 billion events per day because I think Netflix is literally capturing everything. But back then, when they deployed it at Disney World, they went from, I'm going to get the numbers slightly wrong, but from 2 million transactions a day in, the, in all the theme parks to um, 200 million, so one, a, a hundredfold. Now, I, I suppose if you captured everything in the way Netflix is doing in terms of all, all the clicks and everything, it's probably Disney is probably just scratching the surface about how they could start to look at that. But the issue gets to the notion of how it informs your business decision. So Netflix makes a decision to do House of Cards. They spent a lot of money on it, but it was informed by data. And they had a pretty good understanding that they were going to get a return on that. Well, Disney has the same thing, understanding do I invest $100 million or $50 million on a new ride attraction? How do I justify that based on park attendance and driving a revenue model for the theme park? So it's very similar. And you can go through that with different business models, whether it be a restaurant. Do I redecorate? I mean, what's you know, start using digital exhaust to inform your business decisions to make better decisions. Because right now, those kind of decisions are left with typically the owners of capital or executives to make a, let's call it a, a gut decision, maybe a decision that's informed by experience or by their own personal bias. And now we move to one that's data-driven. Pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Disney obviously have their streaming coming out as well. It'll be interesting to see how they can connect the data points offline with, you know, some of the some of the data that they are able to gather through that through that service as well. Well, again, we talk about the uh, Facebook and Google in terms of the amount of digital exhaust that they have on us, mm -hmm. and how they're able to profile us and segment us as users, and then sell that information to people for exploitive reasons. I think at some level, because that's their business model. It's a, it's a perverse incentive. And I think we talked about that a little bit in our prior podcast. But let's think about this in a positive sense. Let's think about how we use this. Because I'll go back. I thought House of Cards was a game changer for Netflix. It was. Yeah. For their original yeah. content. Yeah. It was their shows. first original show, right? Yeah. For, yeah. yeah. Um, and it, it was a fantastic show. I mean, when they came out with season two, well, season one followed the same format where they released an episode uh, every week or something like that. When season two came out, it came out on Valentine's Day of 2014, if I'm, I got my dates right. And it clogged the internet because it, it, it was the first time binge watching was really started because all the episodes were released simultaneously. So you could, you could watch them out of order if you wanted to. And uh, that that ruined Valentine's Day that, that weekend because people were just basically binge watching the well, show because it was such a good show. Well, Netflix is already a big percentage of total internet traffic, right? Yeah, I think it's up on the the slide we were showing before. It's thirty three percent or thirty seven yeah. of worldwide internet traffic. U.S. US. of U.S. North yeah. America, yeah. Okay, and I mean the U.S. is also a pretty large portion of worldwide anyway. Right. So it, it, so it's tremendous in the change of the whole business model. But it's, it's driving a change in nature. So it was a game changer for them, and now it's informing. And again, at some level, you have to argue we get into the, the third wave. And I don't think they're quite yet there at the third wave where we're going to have uh, the digital exhaust 
in conjunction with smart AI, write scripts and say, you need to have this combination for of content to attract this group of users. And the plot needs to look like this and have these elements in it. Well, they, they, Bandersnatch was a foray into that, right? Because now they're collecting data on users, what kind of plots certain users are picking. Um, and that could be potentially used. Yeah. Sorry, TJ. I can't no, use. I was just going to say that to, to go to that third wave, I mean, that's, that's, that's way out there. But this foundation we're talking about is access to this volume of data. I mean, it's a huge amount of data. Yeah. Um, I remember watching, it was some, I think, a TED Radio Hour podcast around um, Facebook and some of its uh, tests that it would do on its users to see how does engagement change if they change the UI, if they change the way the buttons were pressed, just change the way your newsfeed was constructed. And I remember they were you know, had a couple of statisticians talking and they were laughing because like the sample size they work with, the sample size like, oh, N equals 1,000 for the study, we're gonna drop a conclusion and then we're gonna fund some huge project. The sample size they work with is in the hundreds of thousands and the millions yeah. because of their user base. And not just the user base, but the number of interactions and data points per user. So it's, it's just, it's huge. So they can run very, very well thought out, tight hypotheses and it's not just a sample size of a thousand people. It's just, it's it's a different level of hypothesis testing, which is why they're so successful, because they're not they're not making such a big leap of faith after the end of the test. It completely changes yeah. the risk profile of potential yeah. exciting projects they want to go out and do. Right. They just they let the machines do it. Right. Put the test out, and then we'll we'll act on what the test says. Right. Then they're just doing what is the right answer to that initiative, rather than. To having to do all this analytical guesswork if up you're front. worried if you're worried about your own skin I mean you can always point to that and you're safe to go then you're more willing to take risks and continue to innovate as a digital company right. so again we're, we're, we want to in this show attune people to the fact that this is going to the next level of sophistication people understood digital exhaust they get the concept and they say okay targeted advertising or on Amazon they're recommending me the next product I should buy based on what I just bought but this is a uh, one that it was it was eye-opening to me that they would have used big data to to make such a um, interesting show because it's not like you think of the way shows get written someone writes a script it gets shopped in hollywood or shopped in the studios and they they okay we're going to green light this and they go look for actors and they send the script to the actors and the actors audition for these parts this was one where the the, the show was designed around an actor uh, and designed with a director in mind, and then they wrote the show underneath it to tie back to the British series. Because I watched the original House of Cards that came out on BBC, and it was uh, basically a, a, a multi-year miniseries. The, the first one came out, uh, and then the, the next one came out several years later, and then the third one came out uh, maybe three years after that. So it, it didn't happen right away. It was it's sort of an experiment in, in long-form genres that BBC did. And it was excellent. It was very good. But then the American version came out, and I thought it was a much higher production quality. And uh, uh, it was Americanized. And it, I, it, it couldn't get gotten higher ratings the first couple of years. I think the last season they did, season six or whatever, when they lost Kevin Spacey after his problems, I think it, it dropped off quite a bit in terms of its popularity. I didn't like the last season. But it was... Uh, they're using now this data in, this, in very interesting ways. 
Well, there's interesting social consequences. I wanted to explore this real quick. As the cost to produce these shows come down and the analytics gets better in terms of what we're going to produce next, I think they're going to be even more targeted and disparate in terms of what they go and produce. So it's not it's not going to be everyone's watching the same three shows. They're going to keep getting more minute and more minute, almost to the point where you and maybe a hundred other people are in a certain category in their data science platform, and they're going to create a show for you, or maybe a show that overlaps with you and maybe right. four other groups. Maybe other users can't even see it. And they can't they, even see they it. They looked for it. I think that trend, combined with the trend of lower cost to produce and lower time to produce, along with the the whole switch that we just did in terms of not shows airing every Sunday night, but the entire season being released or a movie being released every time I check Netflix. I mean, every time I check, there's some new production that's, I feel like I just checked the day before and there's a whole new movie with A-list actors in it. You can't keep up. There's just such a plethora of content and because it's all released immediately and it's so targeted and minute and Mm -hmm. just niche, niche content. uh, I had a friend comment this to me. He he feels like there's less of a community aspect of watching content now. It's much more personalized and individualized. Mm-hmm. So it's so, a balkanization of our collective culture that was right. tied around media. Right. So like I remember when when I was growing up in the 70s, there was a, a couple popular shows and because there was only a few networks out there. So like I remember the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family was on the same night and everybody watched it. Right. I mean, and it became a... a a thing that people talked about at work, at school. Oh, we're gonna go home and watch the Brady Bunch or whatever it would be. The Love Boat was another big one that was uh, popular on NBC, I think. And we lose that cultural cohesion because of the balkanization. If I can create content for very small niche groups, uh, one group may see a whole set of content that, I, that, and another group sees a different. And there's nothing that binds us together. We get a further balkanization. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think of the new Castlevania? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that is. I was wondering it's what that T-shirt Netflix was. Netflix anime. I thought that was. I thought it was. That a was breakfast made just cereal. for you, Bart. You're like you're, you're yeah. like a sample size of one. This worked. Everything we throw at him, he likes. I, I haven't watched it, but it is critically acclaimed in terms of animated content. If by you, <laughs> I would have. Uh, I didn't I, even have to watch it. I would have guessed that was a breakfast cereal, but <laughs> I. Uh, it shows. I, I so I consume quite a bit of the Netflix stuff. I like what's out there. I think they do some good stuff. I think Amazon's putting out some interesting stuff. They're not as good as Netflix in terms of content, but they're getting there. Apple's going to come in with a lot of money. Uh, Google's going to start putting some money here, and you're going to start to see interesting things. So the issue is. We're going to start to see a lot more good content using this digital exhaust. I think the content we're going to see is going to be more appealing to us, especially the ones that match our profiles. The issue is the unintended consequences of having too much good content out there. Everything from the paradox of choice to the isolation that it has right. by by the fact that you end up w- binge watching by yourself too much stuff and it's antisocial, to then not having commonality with our friends and family and coworkers around the things we see and watch. Hmm. So it's not all good, it's not all bad. It just is, and it's, uh, it's we're trying to expose people to this so they can have conversation about it, so they can take control over how they look at it. And think about the. We want to think about this in the most positive sense. How can we use digital exhaust to create more positive outcomes for people, so that we don't have malinvestment, that we have good investment, and we improve the quality of people's lives. 
Anybody have any co- parting comments on that? No. Good. I uh, I notice when someone else is using my account on Netflix because all my stuff gets all mangled, so I know they're changing stuff in real time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's very, very reactive. You'll, you'll be watching Castlevania soon. Yeah, yeah. Get off my account, man. <laughs> yeah. Please, uh, if anyone has access to my account, don't go into my stuff and watch uh, Castlevania, Fuller House, or <laughs> it's all Friends. Uh, you've Friends. seen Young Sheldon, though, right? Uh, no. That's part of the please. culture that still exists. I'm an old curmudgeon. <laughs> Young Sheldon has his moment on the Super Bowl. Really? You see that? Did, no, yeah. I didn't watch the Super Bowl. Oh, God. That wasn't part of Bart's recommendations. There's, there's niche content now. Yeah, you have to watch true. what 60 million people yeah. are watching. Talking to the wrong, wrong audience. All right, guys. Well, thanks very much. All right. It's a good show. Thanks. thanks. All right, bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show today. Pardon the disruption. If you enjoyed our discussion, I'd invite you to head over to our homepage at www.rumjog.com. You can go there and check out our perspectives page and hear more podcast episodes, read some articles. It's some pretty interesting stuff. You can get access also to our digital disruption series. This is a meetup that we do mostly in New York and New Jersey area where we discuss the impact of these technologies on our society and the way we live and work. We do this alongside of industry experts in various fields like crowdsourcing, automation, and blockchain, uh, the the technologies that are disrupting our world today. Anyway, if you like that, you can also follow us on social media uh, at Twitter on the handle at Rumjog. We look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you.